everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Minimal. And this uh, episode, we're going to cover, I don't know, the first half or so, maybe a little more, of uh, January 2013 and all the Wolverine-related comic books that go with it. So, uh, anyway, um, alright, here we go. So first up, we have our segment, And the X-Men. It's going to be Wolverine and the X-Men, number 23. The strangest heroes of all. <laughs> Still the header over the title. Pretty cool. This chapter will be The Last Frankenstein. It is written by Jason Aaron. Pencils by Nick Bradshaw. Inks by Walden Wong, Norman Lee, Craig Young, and Nick Bradshaw. Colors by Laura Martin. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover, of course, is by Nick Bradshaw with Guru Effects. So this cover is pretty sweet. Uh, We have some rain. And we have Frankenstein holding up, I guess, either a boulder or a piece of the ground. And debris falling off of it. And he's about to drop and or chunk this onto Wolverine. And Wolverine has his claws extended. He's bleeding. He has a nosebleed on. Is coming down off of his chin. Half of his mask is ripped off, so he's obviously uh, been battered a little bit. And <laughs> I think it's just shadow. The way Nick Bradshaw draws his chin, though, with the shading and maybe some water, Wolverine kind of looks like a scroll. He has scroll chin. Maybe he is. Uh oh, Secret Invasion Part Two. <laughs> just kidding. Um. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet cover. Uh, Frankenstein looks pissed as all get out. His eyes are nice and bloodshot. He has a nice frown. Wolverine looks like he's about to uh, get it handed to him, but of course we know he won't. Anyway, so remember where we left off. Frankenstein the monster has been looking for the last Frankenstein the person. And he tracked him to Westchester. Of course, we know this is young Frankenstein of the new Hellfire Club. And inadvertently or purposefully, he captured all the mutant staff from the uh, Jean Grey school and put them in a circus via mind control. And the students came and found it, kind of on accident, on a lark. They've been working to try to get their, their mutant mentors set free. And then young Frankenstein is about to get crushed by old Frankenstein. That's where we left off. So we start off with a... Generic four years ago, somewhere in the Bavarian Alps. And you know, last issue, we kind of got a glimpse. We got some really good character development from uh, our young Frankenstein. 
again, not the Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> and he had started to say something about his only friend. But, of course, he got interrupted or, or stopped himself from revealing too much. Now, I thought that was really cool. Some definitely gave him some character depth. So, a good job by Jason Aaron. Um, and here, we start off this issue with a flashback to his friend. And, basically, he had made a Frankenstein boy to be his best friend and or playmate. We get some good Jason Aaron humor. Um, uh, young Frankenstein's like, reflexes seem to be fine. Vocal cords were apparently a bit more decomposed than I initially thought as the young Frankenstein monster because... <laughs> so he says he'll keep an eye on the obituaries and maybe try to get him some fresh ones. <laughs> and he decides he's going to call his little Frankenstein monster Edward. Which I thought was kind of funny, too. It's like old-school stereotype of how a German would say Edward, you know, crossing your, your W's with V's. So it's Edward. So he gives him a hug, <laughs> and the monster reciprocates by drooling on him. And then we go to months later, there's an angry mob storming the Frankenstein castle, and they find one, and he's like, No, you got it all wrong. I'm not a Frankenstein. And the monster comes out. He's got a baseball bat. And a mitt in like Friend Max. We play baseball now, Friend Max. Then we get why uh, he wanted to forget this, why our young Frankenstein wanted to suppress his memory, because he totally turns on his creation, aka his best friend. And he's like, Look, it's a monster. Get him before he kills someone. And the monster's like, Friend Max, as young Frankenstein runs off with tears streaming down his face. I thought it was funny because it looks like he's wearing a Red Sox cap. <laughs> so it's like, kind of, you know, assuming this was in the past, that would have been appropriate because, you know, Red Sox fans could never catch a break until a few years ago when they finally won. <laughs> so I thought it was funny that here's this bad luck monster with a Red Sox cap on. So we switched to the present, and of course, Heidi had helped save young Frankenstein, but now the Frankenstein monster is uh, kind of given Idy a rough time. Young Frankenstein's like, the decent thing to do would be to return the favor. I've been accused of many things in my short time, but being decent has never been one of them. And his face goes really cold as the witch reaches for him and he shoots her in the face. <laughs> and takes care of the witch. So we see a guy in a clown car with a license plate that says A-Z-Z-L. little uh, foreshadowing. Not to... To spoil, but that'll make sense when we get to the last page or last couple of pages. And the X Men have kind of all now in the right minds, and they're gonna fight the circus. And we see that even their costumes were just a form of mind control. Apparently, as Wolverine is now switching from his Revolto the Clown suit to uh, his normal Wolverine costume. I'm deciding that Nick Bradshaw's Wolverine with the uh, Lace-up boots and the really short fins on the on the cow. Not completely, because his face isn't completely covered. But the costume reminds me, in a good way, of a, a Mexican wrestler, like a Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> I just thought of that, this issue. But uh, that's kind of what, what he makes me think of. Anyway, um, a bunch of zombie clowns jump out of the trunk of the clown car, obviously. That's how clown cars work. And they're all going to attack Wolverine. And they get whacked on the head with a giant hammer. And we get an awesome double-page spread by Bradshaw with all the X-Men, the students, 
getting ready to uh, take on the circus, and Kitty Pride's like, you're going to need more clowns. And so we have Wolverine with his claws out. We have <laughs> Dupe with brass knuckles that say his name. Feast looks fantastic. And Quentin Quire is on his back with a psychic gun, still in his Cyclops t-shirt. There's a really nice detail that he's you see Beast's fur like through his fingers as he's holding on to the kind of the scruff of his back. Of course, you have Rachel, Genesis, or Evan, Rockslide, Toad, Warbird, Storm, Iceman, and Shark Girl, and Eye Boy also in the picture. And it's a really good two-page spread there. Really nice. Uh, the art as usual by Bradshaw. If you're a fan, uh, this book satisfies this really good art and <laughs> finds like what in the world is going on please tell me we didn't just get brainwashed again <laughs> wolverine's like wasn't brainwashing this time was magic and quentin choir is going to send them a mental link to everything he saw to all the uh, x-men so they can see it for themselves that was funny kind of a play on uh technology and social media and then so the x-men are fighting Instead of a cannonball special, Beast throws Iceman for a snowball special. Duke takes on a bunch of clowns. Storm uses her electricity. Quentin Quire feels Idy's pain. So he's going to go find her, I think. And then they kind of come. Frankenstein crashes through a thing. He's still on fire. He has Idy. And he wants to know where the last Frankenstein boy is. And he gets Idy by the throat. And Wolverine shows up. And we get our first snicked. And we don't really see him, but we see Frankenstein's arm and face get slashed. It's a very nice panel. Apparently Frankenstein has a Hulk blood. It's nice and dark green. Then he gets a double shunk and gets stabbed by all of Wolverine's claws right through the abs. <laughs> a nice little thing where we see Wolverine with some action lines like sw- swiveling his fist, his wrist, carving up the inside of Frankenstein. It's a nice panel there. And then Frankenstein says, think again, Wolfman, and knocks him off the, the stage. Again, that was a nice little nod of Frankenstein and the Wolfman together. You know, Wolverine being the closest we're going to have to that, unless Wolfbane shows back up. But uh, the clowns say, Big Frank. That's what they call Frankenstein. Basically telling them the story, the circus is, is falling apart, they're losing. And then Wolverine jumps back onto Frankenstein. Idy approaches the witch, who's pretty much all but a goner, and Idy sets her on fire. The elephant that the kids were on last issue runs towards Frankenstein, and Frankenstein apparently is pretty strong. You know, he is a, a super monster. He picks the elephant up and throws it at Wolverine. But Iceman comes in with the ice slide. <laughs> in typical Iceman fashion, he calls the elephant Dumbo, and he slides the elephant away. And the X-Men surround Frankenstein. And he says, Despite your fetching costumes and charming powers, X-Men, you must realize you cannot kill me, and no jail of yours could hold me for long. I care nothing for you or your sucklings. You are merely flies that wandered into my web. Leave now with your lives, I care not. Leave me to my torments. Wolverine's like, In pieces it is. Because he had said, uh, you're coming with us, bub, whole or in pieces. The choice is yours. So he's like, in pieces it is. Someone get these kids back to school. They've seen enough bloodshed for one day. And Shark Girl in the background is like, this kid hasn't. The witch is on fire. She jumps down and she goes. And very interestingly, she grabs Frankenstein and teleports away in a cloud of pink smoke and a bamf. 
Another little foreshadow here. Intentionally very reminiscent of Nightcrawler's teleportation. So Wolverine asks Rachel if they're anywhere in the area. And she says, If they're anywhere in my telepathic range, I'll find them. And Ivoy reveals to the rest of the team that he can see magic with some of his eyes and says the magic trail disappears. Kitty Pride tells everybody the field trip is over. Quentin Fire uh, questions Idy about trying to kill the witch. And she's like, you're not going to tell on me, are you? And she goes, I knew you'd understand. And he kind of looks down and is like, yes, I'm afraid I do. Very softly. And then we get later. And the X-Men are setting free the families and the kids that were captured at the circus. Doctor Strange and Shaman are wiping, cleaning up the evil magic residue. Toad is throwing clown bodies into a lawn chipper. <laughs> so Ivy goes back to the church to confess. And the witch is at a fire. Frankenstein stops a car. And he's like, I need an arm. And he grabs the guy's arm through the car. And he starts to pull it off. And he kind of lays his nub on the roof of the car. And a <laughs> kind of funny scene there. Then we switch to Cade Kilgore on some island somewhere. And young Frankenstein, Maximilian, comes over. And we see that Idy finds the android robot with an axe through its head. And so she knows it's a robot now, I guess. Because sparks are coming out. Surely she can put that together. And young Frankenstein uh, basically tells Cade Kilgore that he's going to do things his own way now. If he doesn't like it, tough. And Kilgore's like, why, Baron von Katzenbrogen, whatever has gotten into you. And he's like, don't ever call me that again. From now on, call me by my true name. Call me Dr. Frankenstein. I mean, kind of an emo panel with his hair hanging in his eyes and he's frowning and he got shadows around his eyes. And then we see that the witch is talking to her master and out of the fire comes Azazel with a bunch of little bamps. And that's where we end off. So that's, remember I said we, we had, had the clown car, had an A-Z-Z-L on the license plate. That was obviously pointing to Azazel, or Azazel. I'm not sure how you say that. And then, of course, when the witch teleported her and Frankenstein away, we had a bamp and a nightcrawler smoke. And, of course, we know, unfortunately, <laughs> that Az- Azazel or Azazel is Nightcrawler's dad. And I gotta say, that was one of my... I l- I'm a huge Nightcrawler fan. Probably my least favorite thing about his character is when they revealed his parentage. I grew through storytelling to like the idea of Mystique being his mom. I like the idea... I don't know. I I don't mind the idea of the, like, the demon Azazel or Demi-demon. <laughs> you call a demigod a half-god. Is it a Demi-demon? Because that sounds stupid. Demi-demon. I don't know, whatever, half-demon guy. I don't mind, like, the story part of him kind of going through time and uh, playing Zeus, kind of siring his seed, uh, impregnating women, trying to have little demon mutant babies for his legacy. So the story part, it's not that it was necessarily a bad story. I just, I didn't like, I don't like the way that they use this guy who looks just like Nightcrawler, He's a demon, and the mystique had blue skin, and those were his parents. I feel like it over-explains, like, the way Nightcrawler works and his powers. I don't think that's necessary. I, you know, Nightcrawler is one of my favorite X-Men. Probably my second, second or third, I don't know. Top five, for sure. We'll just, 
I may try to break that down later, but, you know, Wolverine's my favorite, and Nightcrawler's somewhere in the top five. I'll talk more about this actually on a, a special episode we have coming up, hopefully pretty soon. But just briefly, one of the things I love about Nightcrawler is that kind of the whole don't judge a book by its cover thing. You have this guy who looks like a demon but has like the soul of an angel. You know, he's very spiritual, he's religious, he's kind, adventuresome. He's like one of the, like as far as character integrity, one of the best guys to ever be on the X-Men. But if you judge him by his looks, he looks like this blue elf who's demonic. And kind of the paradox of that I always thought was genius by, uh, I guess, Lynn Wine technically introduced him, but then Claremont really developed him, his character, and I always thought that was really, that really struck a chord with me as a young reader, just kind of the juxtaposition of Nightcrawler's appearance versus his inner self. And so I felt like when they introduced Mystique as his mom and and then later as as Azel, as his dad, then it made that aspect of Nightcrawler's character a little less compelling. I mean, he was just a random mutant who looked like a demon and then had to deal with that and still had the heart that he had and the spirit that he had. That's really cool. I don't know. I just, it's not, it wasn't bad storytelling. I just felt like not every little thing about every little character has to be explained in every little detail. I feel like the story of, of giving Nightcrawler two blue parents, one who looks almost exactly like him, they're just unnecessary. I don't hate it. It is kind of bugs. I don't know. To me, it is kind of pointless. And just kind of is a, I don't know, just sometimes I feel like the deeper you get into some of these comic series, when you're looking for more stories, sometimes you want to flesh out the past of people, and that's cool most of the time. Like I said, I've grown to like the Mystique Nightcrawler part of it. But Azazel or Azazel, I don't really care that much for. But we'll see uh, if anybody can make me kind of rethink my opinion of him. Jason Aaron is a good candidate for that. So our uh, next issue is uh, will be entitled Date Night. And we have Wolverine and Storm making out on the cover. Um, apparently, instead of Wolverine and Psylocke, we're going to get Wolverine and Storm. So uh, that should be interesting. See how Jason Aaron plays that out. I think that could work. That could be something we I uh, could get behind as a reader, depending on how they do it. Anyway, all right, so that's uh, Wolverine and the X-Men number 23. I'm going to give it... Well, yeah, as far as, like, the Dr. Frankenstein thing, I thought that was really cool, because the last issue, they kind of hinted that he might have a soft side, and then he's kind of definitely turning back away from that. He's going to definitely, it looks like, stay a villain for a while. So I thought the tease of him maybe, you know, deciding whether he was going to help ID or not was a good tease. Uh, I thought the payoff of him kind of turning back around was really cool. So, uh... Alright, well, I'm going to give Wolverine and the X-Men number 23, Three Claws, another great issue. So yeah, three out of three claws for Wolverine and the X-Men number 23. Alright, moving on. Okay, so now it's time for something old, something new. We have all new X-Men number 5. This, of course, is written by Brian Michael Bendis with pencils by Stuart Eminen. Inks are Wade Van Grabager with Craig Young. Marte Gracia is the colorist with Jason Keith. 
And VC's Corey Pettit is a letterer. And of course, Eminem, Von Grabager, and Gracia do the cover. And this cover is really nice. We see uh, basically it kind of points to a, a piece we get in the story where young Gene uh, kind of sees all, and we'll get to why and how as we get to it, but basically it shows young Gene seeing all of old Gene's memories. And I know, old Gene is dead, but like I said, we'll get to it. But uh, it's a really nice cover by Eminem. Uh, The composition of it, as far as like, Young Gene's face and the way the different memories interact around that. It's a really nice cover. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, well, um, where we've been is we had uh, Cyclops is trying to recruit some new mutants. Old Cyclops. And Old Beast is dying. So, the young X-Men have been brought from the past. And so, we open up this issue. And we have Beast, interestingly enough in his first blue incarnation being the blue beast with a slightly shaggy fur and a wolverine haircut (laughs) before there was wolverine this is the beast that you know i remember reading uh from old issues i had gotten from the defenders and avengers i don't remember i'm trying to remember if he turned blue in x-men and then quit or if that like happened either off panel or in the Avengers book when he went to the Avengers. Because I know um, when you get to giant size X-Men number one, for some reason, they have a picture of Beast Head with the old X-Men. And it's this beast, the blue pointy hair beast. But at that point, he's already off of the X-Men. So I'm not really sure. I don't remember exactly, ashamedly, in the timeline where that transformation happens. But that's the beast we have. And he's wandering through the halls of the X-Mansion. And he meets young Jean. And she's in the green and gold Marvel Girl, Marvel Girl, like pre-Phoenix, moving into Phoenix outfit. And Hank is, of course, excited to see Jean again. And she's like, seriously, Hank, like, I haven't had enough to do. And now I'm wearing this. And Old Beast is like, that is my favorite Jean Grey costume. She's like, really? He's like, Marvel Girl. And she's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And so we ask her whose head they're in. And she says, well, it's my first time to do this, but I think we're in yours. And then Old Beast ponders because she's not supposed to have telepathy yet, only telekinesis. In fact, he says he intentionally picked them out from a time a year before she should have developed her telepathy. And Jean offers a theory that maybe um, bringing them to the present kind of shocked her into being prematurely telepathic. Which, you know, it's a good plot device to kind of give her her the powers we're used to. And I buy it, it works. I thought it was clever. So, yeah. And she tells Beast, this is why you don't screw around with time and space. But Beast interrupts her because he he can't he says he can't get over how good it is to see her. But he's sorry. <laughs> and of course she's like, No, you're not. You did this on purpose. Okay, this is interesting because I I wondered kind of what his plan was, and he says, I'm sorry you have to grow up faster than you were planning. But you'll go back and Xavier will put it all right. 
And Jean talks about how weird it is being inside someone's head. And Old Beast says she'll get used to it. And she's like, we've done this before. And Beast is like, all the time. And we get an interruption. And Young Beast is also on the astral plane or in in Old Beast's mind or whatever. <laughs> it's funny. Because Old Beast is like, ah, the young me. The young Beast is like, the blue me. And basically he says that he got Gene to form a telepathic, uh, I guess, network. So that the two beasts could put their heads together and think of a way to save Old Beast. Because remember at the end of issue number four, he was flatlining. And so Young Beast gets on Old Beast's case and says it's his fault because he had genetically tampered with his last mutation. And so this new mutation was kind of not unnatural, but it's inorganic. It's not... Well, basically he says that he knows what's wrong with us because he tampered... is tampering with the mutation instead of just letting develop... Letting it develop naturally has come back to bite him in the blue. Wait a second. And Old B says, my self-inflicted mutation is killing me. I know, I know. Don't be judgmental. For years, we were fine. And Old Beast basically says that there's nothing they can do. That's not why they brought him back. And then we scan out to the operating room. Like the real world, not inside anybody's head. And Wolverine's like, who's he talking to? And Kitty Pride says, let the man work. Wolverine <laughs> goes, man, he's 12. So we go back inside and we see like a big chalkboard with a bunch of formulas. And of course, Young Beast says, oh, my stars and garters, which I thought was awesome. Because that's a classic Beast saying. And Old Beast starts rambling and Young Beast tells him to shut up. He sees an error in the, one of the formulas. And then Old Beast says, Oh, my stars and garters, you're good. So Young Beast figures it out, and now they're going to go to work. So we switch to UT, University of Texas, and Benjamin, our new mutant there, is, is being kicked out of school. And he gets very angry at the hypocrisy because he's like, You know, everybody here was having like a pro mutant rally, and he finally get one, and he gets kicked out. And he's mad and storming off. An old Cyclops stops him. <laughs> he goes, can't help but feel partly responsible. <laughs> Benjamin awesomely says, partly responsible? I give you permission to allow yourself to feel fully responsible. You show up, you bring, what was that? Your whole mutant superhero roadshow with you. And Cyclops basically says, what? Because Benjamin asks again, what was that? Cy old Cyclops says, I'm not sure yet. And nothing to do with you. And uh, this Benjamin kid basically tells him to get lost. But Cyclops, old Cyclops kind of talks him into it. Basically, we find out his power is not really like true shape-shifting, but just kind of adapting. Because like he walks up to Scott, and he kind of looks like Scott, and his eyes glow red, but he doesn't shoot anything. So no optic blast, just red eyes. And again, his height and basic form stay the same, but his face changes. So I'm not, it's not really like that Darwin guy from Deadly Genesis, but it's not really a true shapeshifter. It's kind of different, and I'm not really sure where they're going with it completely. But um, he's an interesting character, so we'll see where he goes. 
Uh, basically, the guy says that he knows who psychos. I have the internet. I know who you are, Scott Summers. I know what you've done. But old Cyclops turns it around and says, well, then you know I'm serious and I will help you. He's like, I'll make you a deal. Come with me. If you don't like it or me, you just walk away. But basically, he's, he decides to give it a try. So Magic teleports them back to the old Weapon X facility and uh, get a load of this. Cyclops says, welcome to the new school. Welcome to the new Charles Xavier School for the Gifted. So Cyclops is going to call his school the Charles Xavier School. Very interesting. Pretty sure he's going to piss all the X-Men off (laughs) by doing that. But if the mansion is now the Jean Grey School, then he's going to have the Charles Xavier School, I guess. Of course, when you get there, you have Magneto and Magic doing some construction. And then a nice turn of, of comic writing and just kind of appreciation for Bendis's pacing. Right after we have the scene where Cyclops, old Cyclops, introduces his new Charles Xavier School, we switch back on the next page with a caption to the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. So Young Beast is doing some work. And he, Kitty Pride comes back in. He's like, I asked everybody to leave. And she's like, yeah, boy, can you imagine not the boss of me? And she tells him she's the headmistress. And then kind of chatter back and forth. And then we go back inside Old Beast Ted. And he and Gene are going to talk. And Gene's like, what happens now? <laughs> and Beast says, let's see what that handsome young man has in store for us. So tell me, you saw, you saw Scott Summers. You saw what he has become. Yes. And you saw inside his mind. Yes. I didn't mean for that to happen, but now you know I was telling the truth. Yes. And then she gets wide-eyed and tells Old Beast that he shouldn't have done what he did. But he basically says that he's a scientist. He doesn't believe in the afterlife. Um, and when you die, that's it. And he didn't want to leave things how they were since he thought he was dying. And he says, If the younger Scott, the one we love, sees what he will become, maybe he will somehow, some way, try not to become that thing. And at the very least, the Scott of today will see his younger self in you and us as a group and see how far he has fallen and let that shame go with him to the grave. Either way, I must say I am fine with it as long as something different happens. And Gene asks, How did I die? And Beast, in a nice frame where there's a lot of shadow over his face, says, which time? And Jean Grey's like, oh, man, what does that mean? And Beast says, we have lived a colored and varied life. And she asks him to show him, or show her. And Beast says, it's not a good idea. And Marvel Girl's like, I have to know. And he's like, I know, and I never close my mind to you. You can look at whatever you want. And she clears her mind and closes her eyes and her, in a nice frame by Eminem, her eyes shoot open. And in a double page spread that's really fantastic here, we get Jean Grey, young Jean Grey with kind of a show of energy uh, inside her mouth and eyes are just pink energy. And we see a lot of her memories through the eyes of Beast, which... I like the idea. Not entirely sure how it works. First of all, it's an awesome panel or two-page spread here. It's fantastic. But the problem is she's looking in Beast's mind and Beast wasn't here for all of these scenes. 
In fact, she wasn't there for a lot of them. So that part is a little iffy. I won't mention them all. Uh, you have an, just an old Jean in the original costume. Yeah, we're fighting that Egyptian pharaoh guy, which that was a big story. Um, you have a scene of her and Cyclops from the X-Factor days. You have the marriage to Cyclops. You have when she defeats the Goblin Queen, a.k.a. Madeline Pryor, which was her clone. Onslaught, when Cyclops became Apocalypse, which is obviously very painful for her. Uh, some Dark Phoenix, when she was in the Hellfire Club. One of the times that she died, uh, when they took baby Nathan to the future, all that Ascani son stuff, some of the Grant Morrison run, which he kissed Wolverine, when they fought Zorn and Magneto, all that stuff, which uh, there's a, a good picture of her with Cable. Great page. I just, I don't know if Beast was there for all of these memories, especially like the future one with baby Nathan. I don't really think Beast had anything to do with that. The rest, I can conceivably see him being a part of. Um, he was an X-Factor. He was there for the... See, I'm not sure if he was there for the Dark Phoenix stuff. I can't remember if he was back on the X-Men by that time. So that one I'm not sure about either. But anyway, that's just nitpicking. Basically, young Jean sees kind of what happened to her older self in the future all the good things and all the bad things and it kind of knocks her to the ground and then back in the real world she has kind of a telekinetic burst of pain she's like no and she knocks a bunch of operating tools over everyone wants to know what's happened she's like he showed me everything everything i died i i felt it which <laughs> has to suck and then young beast looks at a. Uh, Old Beast on the operating table is like, what are you up to? Then we have young Cyclops. Everyone's kind of out in the courtyard. And he's looking over his shoulders like, you can all stop looking at me like that. I haven't done what you were accusing me of doing. And I won't. It will never happen. And this is where Wolverine steps in. He says, except you did. And you will. And Scott, young Scott says, I promise you, I will make this right. Wolverine, really channeling his relationship with current Cyclops, says, Your promises. Swim, I tell you, I think about every time I was this close to you. Every time I could have just popped a claw on the back of your scrawny neck and stopped you cold. And then I don't know about this entirely. I'm sure he's probably mad. But Wolverine kind of goes on a tirade that, like, I'm going to execute the young Cyclops before he becomes the old Cyclops, and that will, like, erase this timeline is basically Wolverine's theory like he's kind of taking my theory to time approach time travel he's like if I get how this works I kill him now and Charles Xavier will be standing right over there <laughs> and of course again again business moment because young Cyclops is like standing and Wolverine's like show of hands trial of your peers fair is fair and young Cyclops channeling his true personality because regardless of how much he disagrees maybe with old Cyclops. He's still the same personality person. And he goes, I can't believe you're an X-Man. And Wolverine's like, yeah, you've said that before. And right before maybe things are going to start getting out of hand, we get the reveal of the new mutation of Old Beast. And we kind of, we're kind of back to like 
the original beast, but he's bigger and he's blue and furry, but not cat-like. And he doesn't have the big hair. In fact, he has a rather, quite a rather short haircut. He looks like a big blue, like, cross between a werewolf and a gorilla. Basically. Um, it's pretty cool. It'll have to grow on me as far as whether it's going to be my favorite or not. So, you know, a good point. So which, which beast is my favorite? Um, for nostalgia, I have to go with the first blue one. I kind of like the Wolverine haircut and I don't know. I just, I read a whole lot of that beast when I was a kid. And so I really like it. The cat-like beast had really grown on me. I wasn't, I was kind of neutral on it at first. A lot, it was, I know it's kind of controversial and a lot of people either loved or hated it. I was kind of uh, not sure at first. So I kind of didn't fall in either of those camps. But it really started to grow on me and the artist that did it well made me love it. The artist that didn't do it well made me hate it. So, um, I don't know, like your Chris Boccolo, I really liked his version. I like the original, um, oh, uh, Quietly, Frank Quietly, when they first did it. I also really enjoyed John Cassidy's version and when he first kicked off Astonishing X-Men. And in the beginning of this book, Eminem's version, uh, with kind of the different wardrobe and kind of the 90s, like, ammo belts and little doodads and accessories. I really enjoyed that, too. But, you know, Eminem designed this new beast, and it, it looks pretty cool. I, I think it has potential to to join. You know, really, it's funny because the old human beast with just the big hands and feet is, is probably my least favorite. Because he's just a guy with monkey feet and big hands. I mean, that's, okay, big deal. I like the blue. Uh, so right now, any of the boys <laughs> are uh, the ones I enjoy. But so Beast is okay. They figured it out. He went. He completed his new mutation, and he definitely looks like a beast still. And Kitty's like, "Are are you okay?" He's like, "Better than ever, thanks to well me. My mutation is stabilized." And Young Beast says, "You're welcome, but you should be resting." And of course, Old Iceman calls him Fuzzy. And young Iceman says, you know you're still blue, right? <laughs> Old B says, well, Scott, consider me the ghost of Christmas future. You're going to go back now and you're going to live, all of you, are going to try to live a life more worthy. And we get an off-panel no, and we see Wolverine scowling. And Jean Grey walks up and says, we're not going back. I've seen what is going to become of our lives. I've seen everything that gets us to this point. I'm not having it, no. We go back and Charles Xavier, you said it. Charles Xavier will read our minds and know what Hank did here and he will mind wipe all of this from us. Yes, mind wipe. And she basically kind of says that Beast's plan is going to fail because if they go back, Charles Xavier will figure out what they did. They'll take the memories away from him and then there was no reason for them to come because all the information they can maybe use to inspire them to try to change the future, he would take that information away from them. And she basically says, everything we're going to go back and fight for ends in my death. The death of Professor X, and Scott becoming everything he says he despises. And if that's the way it's going to be, if that's our destiny, we have to make sure it was worth it. We have to write things here. We have to do what we set out to do. We put things the way they're supposed to be, and then maybe we can go back. 
Xavier can mind wipe the hell out of us. Hell, I'll do it myself. Which, I know when you know we're modernize, modernizing the text, but I don't see obviously what Gene has seen has changed her a little bit because I don't see old school Gene saying hell at all. And even if you like adjust the Marvel timeline, it's not really in the 60s anymore. I still just don't, I don't know. She still is very kind of innocent and naive. I just don't see her saying hell. But she did just witness a lot of crap. So obviously that's going to make you a little harder around the edges. So there's that. And Wolverine steps up and says, you're going back. And Jean says, I'm not. I know how this is hard for you, James. But that has got to kill Wolverine. Because he didn't find out all that stuff till after Jean had died again. So for him to see, like, one of the women he loved the most now, like, refer to him by name when she never got to before has got to, like, stab him right in the heart, I would think. I know you. And, and of course, he kind of reflects and he says, stop talking. And she says, I'm staying here and putting things right. You would do the same. But, of course, uh, young B says, well, that's not really up to you. This is a democracy. There's five of us. And so they agree to vote. They either all stay or they all go. So Gene votes to stay. Young Cyclops votes to stay. Young Angel votes to go. Young Beast votes to stay. And young Iceman votes to stay. And old Iceman goes, you gotta be kidding me. And young Iceman says, what? Scared that I'm gonna make you look like a lame ass? <laughs> and old Beast says that it's not that simple. They can't just go bobbing around in the future doing whatever they want. And Gene calls him out for being a hypocrite. And then Kitty Pride steps up and says, I'll be in charge of them. We're looking for a way to honor Xavier or something more. Can't think of anything more than this. And Warren's like, and no one's mentioning me. No one is talking about what has happened to me, Bobby. Where am I? Which is obviously a very dark and complicated story. And Cyclops approaches Jean and she storms off and tells him to leave her the hell alone. And to be continued. So a lot actually happens in this issue. Uh, we get Beast's new mutation, which I already talked about. Okay, then I think we kind of figure out a lot of the tone of this book and a lot of the focus of this book. This book, and it's addressed somewhat, we actually get our first letters pages for the book, and someone kind of mentions this in the letters pages, but regardless, um, it's fairly obvious this book is going to be very much centered around Jean Grey, or she's going to be a very strong character and probably kind of the leader of the original young X-Men. So this book really shows her stepping up and even almost kind of approaching the gene we're used to. Uh, she's having to grow up really fast, but we're seeing she's still the same gene. She may not be as old, but the gene that we knew, that we that grew into the character that I, at least, have a great deal of... Uh... Oh, she, she was a character I loved a lot. So to see this gene kind of being accelerated through what she has learned and the change in her power and just the way she's adapting to the situation, she's really stepping up and becoming the gene we know and love maybe faster than she sh should in a perfect world, but, you know, she's she's going to do it. So that's really awesome. I love that. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like we get Gene back without getting Gene back, which, of course, has kind of been all the press on this series anyway, so not really that surprising. But anyway, it looks like the book is definitely going to have, at least as far as the young X-Men are concerned, kind of focused on Jean Grey. Which is cool. We also see Kitty Pride. Uh, she was already the headmaster or headmistress, depending on how you want to say it, of the school with Wolverine. But it looks like she's going to specifically take on being in charge of this young team of X-Men. So that's exciting. Yeah, a ton of stuff happens in this book. Great issue. Um, yeah, I've talked pretty much every issue about the creative team. They all do a wonderful job here again. Writing and all the art. In every aspect, uh, pencils, inks, colors, letters, all fantastic. A great book. They've gone five for five in my book. So, um, all right, all new X-Men number five. I'm going to give three claws. And, uh, oh, <laughs> Pat on the Facebook had brought up an interesting question. I had mentioned this when I first started doing it, but I guess I haven't said it in a while. So, let me clarify. I'm giving all new X-Men three out of three claws. So, Three Claws, that's the best. That's my highest rating. I'm still loving this book a lot. I'm very intrigued and invested in it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably my favorite book going right now. There's a lot of good stuff I'm reading. I'm not saying that to downplay anything else. Because there's a lot of stuff I'm reading that I like a lot. Wolverine and the X-Men and Batman probably round out my top three. But uh, All New X-Men right now is currently my favorite book. They're just still, like I said, five for five, still hitting it out of the park with every issue. So yeah, all new X-Men number five gets three claws. All right, we're moving on. Okay, so we're going to end up with, uh, where's Logan? Uh, We have a few things that Wolverine makes some uh, very brief appearances in to start off this month. Um, I'm going to start off with Cable and X-Force number three. It is written by Dennis Hopeless. The art is by Salvador LaRocca. Colors by Frank Diamarda. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And the cover is by LaRocca and Diamarda. Okay, so the cover by LaRocca is really nice. You have Cable and his X-Force team busting through a wall with Colossus, who looks pretty awesome. I'm liking the new design and costume by LaRocca for Colossus. You have Forge and Dr. Nemesis in the background. Domino looks a little weird just because, like, she's crouching behind, like, some rubble and she has her hand reaching over. And the way the hand is drawn, it looks like her thumb is going in, so that would make it her left hand. But the way her body is twisted, it would seem like maybe it should be her right arm. (laughs) That part's kind of weird. And Cable has some kind of, like, space pirate gun. Interesting. I do like, we get a really good shot of, like, the schematics of his new bionic arm he's using. Because like I remember on the first cover, before I read anything and just saw the cover, I was like, why is his new arm so much longer than his regular arm? That's because it extends out, like, kind of an extra robotic hand, which is interesting. Um, it's kind of growing on me, but uh, we get a really good shot of him because we see the inside and the outside of it from like a side above kind of view. And we see how he's, he's, his arm is through it and how it comes past. So 
we kind of saw that in the first two issues, just kind of here and there, but it was a really cool cover uh, that kind of makes it a little bit more clear. All right, so we start off now. Hope is in bed, and she hears some noises. <laughs> and she comes out, and there's a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. people outside, it looks like, or definitely paramilitary of some sort. And Havoc is detaining her in the rec room of it looks like a shield helicarrier. And Cable's on the big screen TV. And of course Havoc is asking Hope if she's seen her dad lately. And she's like, sure, I've been sitting here for hours watching him embarrass you on the news. Up here, on the big TV. And Havoc's like, well do you know where he is now? And she's like, nope. And Havoc kind of explains his position. He's like, he points to the TV, he's like, that up there? That looks a lot like terrorism, which means Cable and his new X-Force just jumped straight up the most wanted mutant list. That's a rough list. <laughs> Hope says, oh yeah, who else is on it? I seem to remember you having a brother. So she kind of digs in, a little uh, family, Summer's family business dig there. And Havoc says, Hope, I don't think your dad is a terrorist. He's a hero. He's a planner. He doesn't screw up this bad without a damn good reason. But until we find out what that reason is, I can't help him out of this mess. What happened out there last night? Hope is like, I really don't know. And Havoc kind of keeps pressing her, and Wolverine walks in. We get our Wolverine appearance for the issue. He's like, leave it alone, Alex. And I like how LaRoque is Wolverine. Especially this close-up of his face. It's a little bit different than I remember him drawing him in the past. But he's very, like, battle-worn. I like the way he does his facial hair. He looks old, but not too old. He looks older. Rogue looks different here she actually, her hair kind of makes her look like an old uh, 90s Liefeld drawing so that's interesting but Wolverine says you knew telling uh, Havoc because you knew walking in here the kid wasn't going to roll over on her old man even if she does know something you couldn't cut it out of her I don't know if I'm really satisfied or really disappointed in Hopeless here because most writers in that scene he would have said even if she does know something, you couldn't cut it out of her and Wolverine would have popped his claws. Like, not like he would actually cut her, but just kind of to make a point or to intimidate. And Hopeless opted not to do that, which is an interesting choice. And I don't know if I'm glad that he avoided the cliche or if I'm disappointed. <laughs> anyway, it's a cool line from Wolverine. And that's kind of all we get out of Wolverine. Then we switch to then. And of course is Cable and X-Force at his base. He's talking about a premonition he had in 36 hours. There's going to be a virus released and an Eat More franchise in New Mexico. Which really, Eat More, it's like what you would call a bad, it's what you would call a fast food place and like a bad comedy satire. So, thanks. But um, the CDC is going to come to the scene and the only survivors are going to be mutants. All the non-mutants are going to die. Is because the mutants are immune to the virus, but of course everybody's going to think that mutants cause the virus and it's a mutant attack. Um, Cable wants to, of course, prevent this from happening. He calls the virus the girth, which is interesting because when people get affected by it, they turn into giant fat troll monsters. <laughs> and they get them some girth. The virus will be traced back to Eatmore's main processing facility in Arizona. And so Cable wants to hit the virus where it starts. They want to hit the truck 
with the tainted meat and take it out. And Domino's like, I'll just go to the factory and take it out in the factory. And Kayla's like, no. And Dr. Nemesis says, why don't we just tell them their meat's been tainted? And by law, they would have to turn it over. And Kayla's like, no. And he goes, Teresa Payton, who's the CEO, I guess, is the why no. She's, she's a big-time anti-mutant who runs her mouth in the press. She made headlines a while back saying the quote-unquote mutant menace could stay out of her restaurants. And so Ford says, well, all right, well, she's the target. We bring her down. He was like, no, it has to be surgical. We go in quiet in the dark. And Domino's like, why are we making this difficult? And Hope says, tell him the rest, Dad. Tell him what happens after. And Cable, we get the word balloon with just an ellipsis in it, like he's kind of caught off guard, speechless. And Hope says, dude, I use your powers. I saw what you saw. You know, because that's her powers. to use other people's powers. So the day they find the cuter, Peyton goes on TV and pins the whole thing on mutant terrorists, says they planted the virus, and declares a war against the mutants. So we get kind of all the usual X-Men stuff. Hope's like, after that, it's hate crimes, fear laws, and sentinels. She goes, we can't blow the place up because the plant runs three shifts on weekends. So too many uh, innocent bystanders, too many people caught in the crossfire. If we call in a warning, then it gives Peyton a heads up to do, just do something else with the virus. Just spread it another way. X-Force is assuming that she's in charge of it. So basically she says they have to jump in at just the right time and try to head this thing off. So then we start a nice little X countdown um, at the corporate headquarters. We have 18 hours, 26 minutes, and 13 seconds. Forge is uh, going all kind of uh, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, he's in with an electrician suit working on the mainframes with the security feeds. And he gets attacked by Peyton and her security guard robot. And Cable's planning for Domino and Hope to go in. And Dr. Nemesis is cooking up some kind of, he says, um, a Johnny on the spot cure for a super virus I won't see until we're already in the thick. It's impossible. A weird science shot in the dark. And talks, he basically is going to make a gun of antidotes or antiviruses. So we switch. Uh, the, the boss lady has Forge. And she's like, I don't hate mutants. I don't fear you because you're different. But I can't have walking time bombs coming in my restaurant. And Forge is uh, analyzing the kind of mecha bodyguard. And he sees the design flaw, a susceptible weak point. And we find out that Peyton's daughter was killed by a mutant whose powers went out of control. It was an accident, she knows, but mutants are still dangerous. Uh, it was Magneto, apparently. And Forge kicks the robot in the weak spot and basically cripples it. And Forge basically says, I understand your reasons for hating mutants, but I can't let the virus out. And she's like, what are you talking about? And we get some uh, laser pointers on Forge. And he's like, you don't even know what's going on, do you? And he jumps off and has like, uh, I don't know, some kind of like hoverboard that comes out of his shoes or something. So we're down to five hours, 23 minutes, and five seconds. Cable's wondering where Forge is. Dr. Nemesis asks Cable if he likes his new costume. And Cable's like, I don't care. 
and Hope is getting her guns ready, and she has these two giant, like, 90s Rob Liefeld guns, and she's like, which one should I use? And Cam's like, neither, you're not going. She throws them on the floor, she's like, I planned this, or helped plan it, of course I'm going. Cam was like, I appreciate it, but no. She's like, this is what you trained me for. He's like, no. And then uh, Dr. Nemesis shoots her in the back with some kind of tranquilizers, and he opens up a teleporter thing, and Domino's going to take her home. And we get an explosion at the base. Cable jumps back through, leaving Domino with Hope at Hope's house. Cable looks to the explosion and sees Forge coming back, being chased by a bunch of Robotech bodyguards. So they start an attack. And then we switch to the factory at night. And we're at negative 21 minutes and 15 seconds. So they missed the deadline. Cable decides that it's too late. And they're running late. He just shoots the hole in the wall. He's like, screw it. And inside we see Colossus being attacked by the factory workers who have been affected by the virus. And that's where we leave off. Alright, art was really good. thought the dialogue was good. The plot line moved ahead pretty well. I like the idea of the virus that only affects humans and not mutants. So it looks like the mutants did it. People look weird when they get affected by the virus and not necessarily in a cool way. That The giant blob vampire zombie thing looks kind of weird to me. But um, I'll go with it. You know what? I'm going to give a Cable and X-Force number three, three out of three claws. So that then is going to take us to X-Men Legacy 3 and 4. Uh, which I didn't actually read. I just flipped through them. Uh, not really doing this book. Uh, Legacy is a character I'm pretty lukewarm on. And don't really know if I want to read a book just about him. So number three is by Simon Spurrier and Tan Ng Wat. What? And uh, number four is by Simon Spurrier and Jorge Molina. Who we've seen in Wolverine and X-Men before. So I like him. What? What? I don't really like that much. Uh, not really my style. He's okay, I guess. And both covers are by Del Mundo. Nah. Bleh. They're okay, I guess. So basically, the premise of this book is that Legacy, or Professor X's son, he has all his personalities in check, and he's finding some new mutants and deciding how he's going to carry on his father's legacy. So a double play on the, the name... Of the title, it's X-Men Legacy because the main character's name is Legacy. But he's also dealing with the literal legacy of his dad, Professor X. So Wolverine shows up on like the last page, number three. Remember from issue two, he and a, a squad of X-Men had gone to a crime scene where Legacy was. And so they're tra- tracking him down. At the very end of issue three, they find him. And they're getting ready to confront him. And what? What? And draws Wolverine like an ugly troll and I don't like it. <laughs> I know that he's short and hairy and mean, but I don't really like him looking like a badger. <laughs> so, or an ogre of sorts. A troll. A troll is what I said first and that's probably the best description. So I don't really like what? What? It's interpretation of Wolverine. <laughs> yes, I'm going to do that every time. Thanks for asking. Alright, so number four, the art gets a lot better. 
Basically, Wolverine talks tough to Legacy, and Legacy knocks him out. And for the rest of the issue, when Wolverine shows up, he is unconscious, slung over his shoulder. Alright, two things I don't like about this. You know, Spurrier, I've never really read him before, and he's not winning me over. Alright, first of all, okay, with all of Legacy's vast powers, he could maybe get a cheap shot in and knock Wolverine out. Wolverine's healing factor is super immense, and he's not going to stay knocked out that long. That beast has to carry him around to more than one place. Just Wolverine slung over his shoulder. He would, his healing factor would have kicked in and taken care of any cheap shot that Legacy could have got on him. Personally, I don't even like that Legacy got the cheap shot, because I think Legacy is a much more diminutive character than Wolverine, but it is his book. He gets top billing. It's about him. And I understand with this power set how it could happen. I don't like it, but I understand it. But what I really dislike is the limited dialogue we get from Wolverine, where basically he's trying to intimidate uh, Legacy into backing down and turning over. He has two young mutant kids in his custody, and Wolverine wants to take them back to his school. This is basically his objective. And he doesn't think... He thinks Legacy's a little bit crazy because he has a history of psychosis and schizophrenia. And he doesn't trust him to look after these two new mutants, so he wants to take them back to the school. And all that's fine and good, but the way Sprayer writes Wolverine's dialogue is pretty horrible. Because Legacy at some point says, I understand what you want to do, and we have to consider the fact that it's time to try something new. And maybe my dad was wrong. Yeah, there's a really drawn out pause when he says that. And so Wolverine at this point goes from intimidation to saying, all right, enough's enough, basically is what he says. I've taken all your gruff for now, but the moment you go sassing your dead pa's memory, it's like, okay, Wolverine's been around a long time. He's old. His healing factor has kept him around and alive. You know, who knows what his actual age is. It's, it's old, okay, like, over a hundred years probably or around that I mean before World War Two, at least and, I, and a lot of the stories act like it's way before that I and mean, he's an adult in the 30s just based on the way the last Wolverine series ended so yeah he's old and so I don't want a Wolverine that talks all hip and and have too much current lingo but also you don't we don't write him talking like he's in the early 1900s either and so this when he says he says talking about legacy sass in his paw it sounds like an old grandpa from Arkansas and I just don't think that's how Wolverine would talk I understand he would probably carry on some colloquialisms from the different areas he's lived in but I feel like he would combine all those together I just I don't know I don't feel like Wolverine would say something about sass in your paw I don't know. It just it seems out of character and kind of lame for Wolverine to say. So, I did actually read these books, X-Men Legacy 3 and 4. But what I did read, I didn't like very much. I read more of 4 than I did of 3, for sure. I think Wolverine was literally just on the last page of 3. Whereas he's actually kind of... Though he's knocked out for most of it, he's in a a good chunk of number four. So I read a good chunk of number four. But since I didn't officially read them from cover to cover, I'm going to stick with my uh, tactics. 
<laughs> on this show, and I'm going to give both X-Men Legacy number three and number four bone claws for unread. So they get bone claws. Honestly, if I had read them both, they would probably be one out of three claws apiece. But officially, they're bone claws because I didn't read all of either issue. All right, so one last thing, and if you read, the, I don't know if you're getting this from the, the website or iTunes or whatever, but if you read the show notes on the website, you might see that I quote-unquote cover Spawn number 226. And maybe you were just like, what? Or maybe you got really excited. You're like, whoa, Wolverine's in Spawn? Is that like a new crossover? Whoa, badass. Then maybe you're about to be really pissed at me. If you are, I'm sorry. But no, Wolverine is not in Spawn 326. But what we have here, I don't know who all that listens to this uh, has read Spawn or still reads Spawn. I know from the letters pages, it sounds like he's lost a few readers but gained some new ones. So, you know, who knows where those of you listening stand. I personally have been enjoying it. Um, I kind of miss... The comic booky art sometimes, but I like Krasinski, however you say it. So I don't mind his style. I like it. Um, anyway, that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is uh, the last several issues of Spawn. McFarlane has been doing the covers himself. And he's been doing covers not entirely from his own past, but from comic past. And mostly from his own. Um basically paying homage to previous classic covers with him drawing his Spawn characters, either in those poses or whatever. I did one where he drew Amazing Fantasy 15, so Spawn was swinging around carrying somebody. The next issue is going to be a take on Amazing Spider-Man 300, which, which I'm looking forward to quite a bit, which was an old McFarlane cover. But 226, which I'm looking at right now, is a very nice homage to one of my favorite Wolverine covers ever. And it's not on Wolverine. It is an homage to The Incredible Hulk number 340. And that's an, that's uh, from McFarlane's run on Incredible Hulk. And it's a really sweet cover where Wolverine's yelling and he's got his claws out. And in the claws, you see a broken reflection of the Gray Hulk yelling back at Wolverine. And you can tell they're just about to go at it in the epic, classic Hulk Wolverine battle. It's just fantastic cover. Uh, one that I've always really loved. So anyway, Spawn 226 is an homage to that cover. Uh, we have the Incredulous Spawn. It's named the Incredible Hulk. And even back the Hulk back in those days had those really block letters, kind of with the Superman fade behind them. But the letters are made out of bricks. And so the Spawn letters are made out of bricks. And we have, uh, for those of you who keep up with Spawn, uh, the clown who turns into the violator. But And here he's the clown in Wolverine's place. And it's cool because his hair kind of matches Wolverine's uh, cow, especially back then with the big fins. And he's holding up three knives. And I thought this was cool because they're three different style, like butcher knives, but they're all different. So three very distinct knives. And in the blades of those knives is a broken reflection of Spawn yelling back at the clown. So I thought it was a really cool cover. And I know technically it has nothing to do with Wolverine, except for the fact 
that it copies is an homage to uh, one of my favorite Wolverine covers ever. So in that regard, I wanted to just kind of point it out real fast. Um, obviously, you're not going to rate the book on here, but I'm going to give this cover three out of three claws. <laughs> it's a really cool cover. Um, you should check it out online. Uh, Google it if you haven't seen it, if you don't read Spawn. Uh, Google it. Google Spawn 226 cover. An Incredible Hulk 340 cover. And just compare them. Look at how awesome they both are. Because they're both fantastic. Alright, I'm going to wrap that up here. Uh, we'll get ready to do our conclusion right now. Okay, so that's going to do it for episode 15. The first part of January 2013. I kind of hoping to split this month in half. But it didn't really work out that way uh, for different reasons. So probably the backside this month is going to be a much longer episode. Um, we'll have the next two issues of uh, All New X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men. Those both get double shipped this month. Uh, we'll have Astonishing. And as far as the two Avengers books, Uncanny and just Avengers, I think they're both falling a little behind. So I don't know if we'll get those right at the end of the month and squeeze it in. Uh, the other episode for January, or if those will get delayed till February. I'm not really sure. Uh, play that by one by ear. Um, I am going to do a special mini episode for Savage Wolverine number one. Kind of give it its own thing to celebrate the kickoff of that new series. And then in the works, I'm working on another uh, special back issue episode. I'm um, just trying to work out the schematics and scheduling of that. Hopefully that'll be sooner than later. I don't know if it'll be in January or February. I'm hoping to squeeze it in. Uh, we least try to get the recording done this month, and we'll see. But we'll see how that goes. So, it's the time of the show where I beg. Uh, give me some thoughts, opinions, what you're liking, disliking, what you agree, disagree with. Um, of course, email me at snittcast at yahoo.com. Like us on Facebook, or us. Like us, the royal we. Hit me, I guess, at Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash snitpodcastfanpage. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at snitcast. Those are all the different ways to kind of interact, see what's going on. Pat from Facebook had, had suggested a good idea that I uh, do something about the Wolverine movie to get ready for the new movie. So I don't know when, I have a while before the new one comes out, still. So, but I think I might try to get some people together and do a, uh, like, live audio commentary of the first Wolverine movie. So, if enough people are interested in hearing that. So, if you are, respond to one of the various ways and let me know. I think it sounds like fun, I may do it anyway, but I'll... Would definitely love to hear your thoughts on that, whether you anticipate that or don't care. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it. This episode is in the books, on tape, ready to go. All right, well, I'll see you guys later in the next episode. Take care of yourselves. Bye.